Hi, this is Libby. And this is Roberta. And this is Art Blog Radio. We're talking today to Andrew Simonet and David Brick, uh, who, together with Amy Smith, founded Headlong Dance Theater in 1993. In February, they put out a call for citizen dancers, ordinary people who would allow the company into their houses to create and perform site-specific dances. The group performed at the ICA in response to the Sheila Hicks installation and have recently been performing in other gallery spaces. Uh, the team, which received a Pew Fellowship in the Arts in 2006, is based in Philadelphia. So how and why did the three of you start this? Uh, we met in college. Uh, well, who's speaking? Oh, hi, this is Andrew. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Amy, David, and I met at Wesleyan University in the late 80s, and uh, we all were drawn to the crazy dance program that was happening there. It was a very unusual and um, exciting time for the dance program there. We all had an awakening that dance was the art form <laughs> for us. Um, I, none of us went to college to be, be choreographers. And what did you go there for, David? Just liberal arts, you know. I, I was like, I thought I was be a, an actor or a poet and then eventually a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Make some money. I think I really had no idea. <laughs> and, and Andrew, what did you go there for? I delayed going to college because I didn't want to waste it. I think when I actually arrived there, I, I had just been doing some very intense political work with the Catholic Worker Movement, which is these radical Catholics who live in poverty. And um, I think in my mind I was going to get some skills and training that were going to help me be more effective changing the world. <laughs> and are you changing the world? I think people who have an urge that things could be different. I think some people, you know, you can work to help people do better given the rules that we're all playing by. You can be a teacher, a social worker. You can try to change the rules, right? You can be a political activist, writer, documentary filmmaker, or you can um, try to help people really see what the rules are and other rules we could live under, and I think that's what artists do. Well, it seems to me you're changing the, the rules of the dance game, which generally takes place in a theater with an audience sitting and not doing anything and the performers doing everything. So how do you differ from dance as traditional? So many answers to that. I'll answer right now for myself. <laughs> to me, dance is just a set of strategies, and there's an underlying thing that matters that has to do with um, embodiment, that has to do with social relationships. The difference between me and my little body and universe where everything about me seems the most important thing in the world, and you and your little body and universe. Um, to me, any discipline is just tactics. It's not, um, I don't have it written on my heart in the way I think some people do. And I think it's very beautiful that you people have that. So gradually, I actually feel like I'm getting better at letting go of whatever the discipline says and, and getting to the thing underneath. I think our work picks up a lot from things that were gestured at in the 60s. There was a group of choreographers and artists of all kinds who began to call dance anything that happened with the body and space and time. And the dance world proper, I feel like, has um, celebrated that moment and kind of relegated it to a sort of a sidebar in the history of dance. And in a lot of ways, I think Headlong's work for the 20 years that we've been making work 
has continued this basic idea that a body alive in space is as deeply meaningful as a piece of art. So if we look at the um, this project that you have going where you're going to go into people's homes, you already are in people's homes, and you're um, somehow choreographing something that they're going to perform. How do these ideas apply to that? Well, I think... Um... I think watching dance is can, can be really beautiful. I think doing it is kind of life-changing. I think if you actually embody, I think it it's um, transformative. So a lot of our work has gradually been focused more attention on um, away from the trained dancer bodies and towards the audience bodies or participating bodies. The piece we did recently called More, there's actually a big living room on stage, and a lot of the movement doesn't look particularly dancey. It looks very pedestrian and kind of compulsive and ordinary. We spent a bunch of time, I feel like, trying to get our dancers not to look like dancers. And now it's kind of coming from the other direction, saying, can we work with these citizen dancers? And um, instead of like pulling the training away, now we're trying to sort of add the right training to get to that poetic moment. And there is something, and it's, I don't always know, I can't explain it, but there's something about an untrained dancer, a citizen dancer, there's something poetic about that movement that is um, really hard to duplicate with trained dancers. The dance world has really explored movement, vocabulary and movement invention, but a live body performing in space has other qualities besides the uh, elaboration and detail of the movement invention. So a project like this helps shift my focus to things like presence. Uh, and I think presence is really a big deal. It's a uh, a huge part of what um, we see when we see a body performing. We see the presence, we see some manifestation of the interior life or what we call the psychic choreography of their presence. So a project like this lets us really, creates a little bit of a laboratory to look at presence. So you've started working with two of the households and have you found that there is a difference between the families? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, so many of the things I feel like that I learn in this project are sort of obvious and they sound banal, but people are so different. Like, every people are so different. They live so differently. Their rhythms are so different. Their bodies are so different. The family um, cultures are so different. So, absolutely, they're incredibly different. One household has these three young kids, and um, so one of the rhythms of their household is interruption, constant interruption. And that, I think, is probably going to be one of the structural ideas we're going to have, because their household, like, things don't happen in a nice linear beginning, middle, end way, and complete, and everyone says, ah, moves on to the next thing. There's five things happening, and this thing cuts off this thing, and this thing jumps in the middle and then goes away. So that, to me, is, you know, just elaborating on what David said, that's like how that family has a, a structure, right, a formal structure. And how did you find your families? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so they all applied um, to participate, and we got about 40 applications from different households. And I, I say households because you, you weren't required to be a family. You were required to live together and share meals together. <laughs> One of the things we really wanted to do was reach beyond our regular audience and also get a real range of kinds of households in Philadelphia. So we got some, of, some really broad reach media like the Metro newspaper and KYW, the South Philly Review, and we did some community events to get a little bit outside of our regular circle. And that's, 
that really succeeded. Three of the four households had never heard of us. Two of them have never been to a dance concert performance before. <laughs> Maybe the third, I'm not sure I should ask them. The audience that very easily and quickly comes to our work is a certain kind of educated middle class person, um, which is a wonderful person, <laughs> but is not the only person who lives in Philadelphia. And um, this question about households, I just think if you're going to get into that in Philadelphia, you can't just have four of the same kinds of households. And how many people can fit in somebody's house? It's a good question. We're not sure. The homes are not huge, any of them, and some quite small. Um, probably 10 to 15 per night. So they're each going to perform eight times. So there's you know, a few hundred tickets available. And you will bring a dish of food. So that's both to help everyone have dinner, but it's also a little bit of a test. If that sounds like a drag, this is not the right piece for you. <laughs> you should go see something else. <laughs> we really, we've really, we think a filter is actually really important to um, how you share a work of art. A filter both attracts the people who belong there and keeps out the people who don't belong there. What is your filter? The the potluck is the filter. I think you know. You know. I mean, there's things about it, like going to somebody's, going to a stranger's house is one part, and then the potluck kind of raises the stakes on that even more. It's like if I'm if I'm interested in bringing food and sharing food with strangers, you're going to find a lot of meaning in this work. If, and if you're like, that just sounds awful to me, you'll probably be too uncomfortable in the entire situation to kind of enjoy it, and it's not for you. So, David, I understand that you have some interest in putting bodies into gallery spaces. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, this has to do with the quality of contemplation. Stage performance is a very difficult medium for the quality of contemplation or reflection. The nature of time passing in a normal performance is uh, a group of people kind of get the same information at the same time and it has to happen very quickly and we're all saying what comes next. And that's very, very different from the way we uh, read books or look at visual art where the individual cognitive proclivities of any one of us is we can go at our own time. We can look at something, think about it, look back at it, associate it with something in our memory or something else that we look at. That leads to a contemplative quality. I'm looking at what I call body installations, um, which are performance qualities in the visual art setting, in museums and galleries, because bodies are so messy and unruly, and the visual art setting is so often very pristine and very, very clean, you know exactly what you're looking at. How did people respond when you were in galleries so far? Have you gotten responses that you expected? And how was it different? The big trick is to get the bodies to be happening for a long period of time so that people encounter them without the sense of a beginning, right? So right now we've only been able to, like the, the installation in the uh, Sheila Hicks at the ICA, you know, it was a publicized start time and we only had like an hour or so. So people come and they're ready for the thing to start and then we're in performance mode, we're in a theater mode, people are waiting. The second time that piece looped through, it started to work in my, in my view. 
because then people had begun to arrive who weren't there to see the performance, and they were just accidentally encountering this thing. That said, I, I was going through all the pictures of the, of the evening, and it's kind of amazing. There's people scattered throughout the space, sitting on the floor, moving through the space that the performers are actually in. And so there's this looking of bodies, looking at bodies, ordinary bodies against performance bodies, against performance bodies that are being ordinary. The, the people watching become a huge part of the performance, and that's, um, that's amazing. We start to watch each other and really observe the energy and the presence of each other, and something about the performing bodies uh, triggers that, kicks that off. So is it safe to say that you are fueled by the moment of that uh, convolution of the performer in the audience as much as you are about documenting that and having it in a video on the web, blah, blah, blah. So where's the real crunchy part for you? There's something about um, seeing what we see all the time, but seeing it with a new kind of attention and things that are ordinary, like using the material of the ordinary or the commonplace, can begin to trigger that. But there's something about a theatrical value that is absolutely theatrical, that's absolutely extraordinary, not normal, <laughs> um, that has a relationship to that too that I don't know the answer to yet. And I'm fascinated by both of those things. I'm, I'm an inveterate performer. Headlong loves to perform. We're very silly and funny. Um, often in our work. And there is something about the special energy of performance that's not just the slightly differently vibrating ordinary thing. I don't know the answer to that question. There's something about the relationship of the absolutely theatrical to the absolutely ordinary that I think we're just beginning to um, diagram. How old are you guys? I am 42. I'm 44, and Amy Smith is 41. Uh, you know, dancers have... <laughs> Expiration dates? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How shall I put this delicately? Do you think about that, and do you think about how your work will change in response to that? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, our concerns about movement are such that older bodies can inhabit those concerns well. We're not... There are kinds of dance that by our age you are pretty much done, which is part of my argument with that. I don't under, like, I don't, I feel like America has so many of those things that worship youth and perfection and idealization and the person with the highest or the biggest or the strongest. And um, to me, artistic work is a place to ask a different question other than that. So we are lucky enough to find ourselves in a form and in a set of questions that don't have an age limit. But I definitely think my changing body and having children have changed a lot. And working now in these houses with bodies and bodies that are older than mine and bodies that have less movement in them than mine, have, have aged in a way that they, they feel themselves less mobile, that's part of my interest in that house. And then the kids running around, these like hypermobile children who are like <laughs> the opposite. They're like taking up all the slack. So I think part of getting older is sparked my interest for sure. Uh, we've been talking today with Andrew Simonet and David Brick of Headlong Dance Theater. 
Thank you for talking to us. Thanks so much. It was great. Artblog Radio is brought to you by theartblog.org. Thanks to our sponsors, including the Knight Foundation. Also, we want to thank Peter Crimmins, who makes us sound good. He's our editor. And thanks to Eric Biondo for his music. You can download these podcasts at theartblog.org slash radio.